What up, what up, guys? It's your boy, Rusty. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Common Warrior Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a very serious thing. It is going to be about mental health. So please take the time to really listen and understand the resources that are available to you. And always remember, if you feel like you're at that point, dial 988 option 1. That is 988 option 1. Please rely on your fellow wingman, your fellow battle buddy, whoever. Reach out, ask for help. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. What up, what up, guys? Thank you for joining us today on the Common Warrior Podcast. Always with me is the awesome Jess. What is up? Hey, what's going on, guys? And we are bringing back the lovely Destiny. Say hi. Hi, guys. We have a very serious topic, a very well-known topic in the military community that is often not talked about enough and is often downplayed by a lot of people, but only we truly know how dire it is because we're the ones that experience it. We're going to hit mental health on our third episode, and we wanted to go ahead and bring this in because this is something that we can never talk about enough. We could do 10 episodes in a row and not cover the same material because this is something that can never be talked about enough. We have to continue to bring this to light. We have to continue to give resources, give the give voices, give a platform. We have to continue to take care of each other. And that's all. That's the best support that we have as veterans in the military community is to take care of each other. So that's why we want to go ahead and bring this one now and don't, think that we won't ever talk about it again because trust me as this continues to, this platform continues to build we will hit on this subject many more times but destiny if you would please reintroduce yourself to the crowd mm-hmm. um hi guys destiny here um so i am still active duty air force my background is i first came in as a personnelist I retrained in 2010 into mental health technician. Um, I did that for a while. And then in 2017, I actually became a mental health, um, behavioral health technician instructor at the schoolhouse at Fort Sam Houston. Um, I'm now a first sergeant and I did it for security forces. And now I am in a recruiting squadron in Arlington. Um, I have been stationed at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois, Luke Air Force Base, Arizona, Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico, Lackland, Texas, Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and now in Arlington. Thank you very much. Well, I don't know how else to really segue into this series topic other than we just got to really jump into it. So Jess, why don't you provide us with a few words of wisdom from you? our our resident active duty cannon master sergeant because we all know how cannon is a very serious space for this for this particular matter yeah it is um i think it boils down to taking care of your people and creating a positive environment for your folks because in the 17 years that i've been in the military between the two different branches one of the biggest things is people get stressed out They feel like they can't talk to their leaders. They feel like they can't talk to their peers because they don't have that sense of community. And 
my job, obviously, as a leader, which I take very seriously, is to build that kind of camaraderie, because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we've been charged to do. And I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's important that we're talking about this topic today, because this is a platform that we can get that out for people who might not know us. They can understand where we're coming from, why we feel so passionately about it, and just really take care of those who have served and are currently serving. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the first things that I know, um, I think it's with all branches, not just the Air Force, which of course we have the most experience with, but there's a huge stigma, right? Don't go to mental health. It'll ruin your career. Am I right? I mean, oh. that is the number one thing that is said. And by God, I lived by that creed for so long while I was in because I refused to go because I didn't want to mess up any possibilities in my fucking career. Same. So I stuck with like going to see the chaplain or I went to go to the MFLAC, the military family life consultant. Um, those are the top two things I always told my troops. So like, look, you know, because no matter what you did, people, kids were still scared to go to mental health. And I was never going to push anybody to go to something if they didn't feel comfortable, right? That's not going to help. So I was always like, hey, go to the chaplain. First response back, I'm not religious. You don't need to be religious to go to the chaplain. You don't. Right. You can 100% be an atheist. You can 100% be spiritualist because the thing about chaplain is like, yes, they, they're, they're about – they work with religions, all religions, right? You know, Christianity, Buddhism, Catholicism, whatever, right? They they have a, they have experience and they, they they do all of them. But their overall achievement is spirituality, being comfortable and balanced overall. And when I tell them, I was like, look, if you go to the chaplain, this is the only way you can tell them whatever you want, and they can't tell anybody. This is a hundred percent confidentiality. I mean. Not to be too blunt, but you could literally say, I killed somebody. They can't tell nobody. That is absolutely true. And that's and it's crazy. But like, you know, that's that for some serious level stuff, like when you have things that you want to get out, but you're afraid to get out, that is your best option. Go to the chaplain. You can tell them and they can they can listen. They are counselors, you know, but you have to just have a, a place where you legitimately feel safe because any other resources you go to. You say a certain thing, they have a duty to warn, right? But when it comes to the chaplain, that's the safest place to be. And that's yep. why I always use them the most. But aside from that, and I don't know if you have experience with the MFLAC, but MFLAC was my second. You know, they don't take documents. They don't report to anybody. They're, the only thing is they have a duty to warn. But they're licensed counselors. They're great. I loved working with them. They were every MFLAC I ever dealt with was amazing did you ever go see the MFLAC so I never actually did utilize the MFLACs but I do tell my folks when they're having an issue and they're nervous about going to mental health I'm like hey go speak to the MFLAC the good thing about being an AFSOC is that we have the POTIF team which is preservation of the force and family and mm. they have assigned MFLACs uh that are embedded in their teams and we have mm. those resources the phone numbers for all of those folks chaplain MFLAC um, any of the counselors, they're posted all around our unit. Um, and they're posted around the other units too, especially in the maintenance community, because they realize that yes, you're serving in the air force. Yes. Most of you are serving in support roles, but there's still stuff that you're going through. You're going to go through stuff just being in the military. You know, people go through divorces, people lose custody of their children. 
people have parents pass away. You still have a family back home that cares about you, that goes through stuff even when you're not there. And they're a fantastic resource and someone to talk to that isn't going to report everything up to your chain of command. Um, not to shy anyone away from going to mental health, because obviously Destiny is going to talk more on that. But if it's something that you are worried about or nervous about, you can talk to those folks and you can utilize resources like Military One Source to get the 12 sessions of free counseling to work through some of those issues. Because sometimes you just need to talk to somebody who isn't family or friends. Yeah, I mean, you, I think people in general would be surprised about just having somebody to talk to and not having that stigma in their brain of like, I have to talk to a doctor. I have to talk to a medical professional. They're going to give me medicine. They're, they're going to fix me. We all know that ain't, ain't real, especially Absolutely. when you get out of Especially when you get out and you get all the damn medicines from the VA, I could show you guys a full pharmacy behind me because, I mean, everything has a pill to fix me. None of it's working, but I'm going to take it. Why not, right, at this point? But it, it's it's almost enraging how much the VA and the military relies on just shoving pills down our throats. Yep. But uh, what would you say, Destiny, is um, your point of view on the stigma and whatnot and, and the resources that you've utilized your your troops have utilized and whatnot um so stigma is always going to be a thing that we're going to battle with um just because people think that whenever they seek mental health treatment or seek treatment from a therapist that it's going to ruin their career when actually it, it could be the opposite um but i would just say that the most important thing about that is making sure that you're seeking that help um before it's too late that I like, I like to put out there first is utilizing your chain of command um, and putting that trust into them that they could they could help you out um, with certain things. If not, uh, maybe it's directly related to your chain of command. You can always go to mental health, like the chaplain, like he was saying. You could go to military one source, like Jess was saying. You could go to the MFLAC. We have lots of different resources. The only thing I would say about that is if you're utilizing the resources, then, you know, utilize them and take full advantage of them and just know that people are going to have your back. And, but the most important thing about all of that is basically just making sure that you're saying something and you're speaking up before it's too late. So you asked which ones my people have used as a first sergeant and as mental health, um, all of them. Um, I've had, People utilize all of them. And I always tell people, if you're going to go to mental health, you don't have to tell me about it. Um, Obviously, that's, you know, your business. But um, I would like to know if if it's working, if you are doing it, if you are going or if there's something else that we can do to assist. Um, The other thing is making sure that you're relying on your relationships, your personal relationships, your intimate relationships. Um, That's the biggest thing too is, is talking to people and having somebody to, to rely on and get you through the hard times. Would you say that with any of your people that utilized all of the resources, did you ever see if they ever like reported back to you and you, you followed up with them? Did you ever see one particularly working a little bit better than the other or like No, not really. I think that everybody's on a case by case basis. You know, what works for one person's not going to work necessarily for another person. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody could be going through 
relationship counseling and, you know, maybe they need a chaplain to assist with something, you know, um, if somebody is having issues with work, you know, uh, they could use the MFLAC and I'm not saying that you have to go to those, um, agencies for those specific things, but I don't think that there's specifically one thing that works better than the other. I think everybody is just seen on a case by case basis and what works for some people just, you know, might not work for others. I can't tell you how many times I saw the MFLAC. Um, I think I, w- I want to say that at all three bases, yes, three bases in my entire career, all three bases, I, I went to the MFLAC because it, it, I mean, it was just one thing that always worked for me. It was one, it was the one thing that I always could count on. Um, I have been in mental health. I will say that the chief stigma about mental health did affect me one time and it broke me from that trusting point for a while. Um, I did get a really good mental health therapist when I got to Hill. Um, but yeah, it, it was pretty hard. I'll talk about that here soon, but, um, I just always wanted to make sure that my, my people knew. And I think where a lot of these resources kind of get lost towards these young airmen and towards even just if you're an E6 and like your E5s, if you're an E7, your E5s and E6s, like where they get lost in that point is not having a relationship uh, with them, right? So if I didn't have a relationship with my airmen to a point where they they could trust and talk to me, they knew that I cared about them, then they wouldn't come to me letting me know they're having some issues. And then I can make these recommendations for these resources, you know, so and then so on and so forth as I went up, you know, when I was an E6, if my E5s didn't have that type of trust and, you know, with me and I didn't have that type of like, hey, look, you know, I'm your boss. I tell you what to do. We make sure we get stuff done. I hold you accountable, but know that I care. Okay. If there's something going on here in the work area or whatnot and you have an issue, bring it to me. Let's, let's fix this. If you have stuff going on off duty, home, whatever, like finances, if you have real issues that are causing real problems, I care, come to me, let me help you or let me get you to a place that can help you. Because ultimately what happens off shift will affect on shift. If you're, if your off shift life is drowning in either debt or horrible relationship issues or just alcoholism, gambling, whatever it is, if your off shift life is being utterly destroyed, it will eventually affect your work. There is no way you can just stave it off forever and all of a be a perfect person at work and then the utter disaster you are off work. It will eventually affect it. So that's where we have to be better as leaders, as supervisors, building that just basic level of trust with your people. We're not saying be best friends. We're not saying, you know, make sure you're having them over every weekend for a beer. We're not saying that, but know that you have to show that you actually can. You have to show it. You can't just say, Hey, I care about you. That doesn't fucking sound like you care about them. You need to show it. You need to be making an effort. And a lot of that is not happening today. And that's where a lot of this trust in the system of chain of command of the resources is just lost. And then people end up suffering for it. That's how I've seen it for a long time. You know, 
different people see different things, but that's just me. So what do you, what is your take on that, Jess? Um, yeah, I've seen it too. Uh, I've dealt with it. Um, I dealt with it about 10 or 11 years ago where I did not have that trust with my supervisor. Like I would say something was wrong and it was just, Oh, get the fuck over it. Like, you know, you just gotta, gotta be more resilient, right? That key term resiliency Mm -hmm. that everybody fucking overuses and abuses. Um, but it's not just about being resilient because people throw that term out that you have to be resilient. Being resilient doesn't mean you get to get shit on all the time. That's not what that is. Um, people have a breaking point. Everyone's breaking point is different. And my experiences are different from someone else's. What bothers me might not bother you, you know, but at the end of the day, if I'm going to lead people in any kind of environment, I have to be good for myself so that I can take care of them. And to know that I've gone through the situations that I have and I've used mental health and I've used these resources to get myself, you know, out of a very, very dark hole. I can use that as an example to show my people like, Hey, look, yes, life is going to suck at times. You're going to go through peaks and valleys, but when you go into those valleys and it's just so dark, there is a way out and you can survive because I am the person who was ready to unalive myself 10 years ago. And because one of my peers stepped in and said, hey, no, let's get you some help. I'm still here today. And if it wouldn't have been for her, I wouldn't be having this conversation. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of the supervisors around me to care. I had a couple of them. But until they found out what was going on, they couldn't provide that help for me because I felt like I just needed to truck through because that's what I've done my entire life. But I promise you you can truck through and you can try to pretend like shit's not bothering you and you can bottle all that shit up inside, but I guarantee to you it's going to blow up one day and it's going to be bad. And if you let it just build and build and build and you don't get that out, you are going to suffer for it. And it is okay to seek that help. I am an E7 in the Air Force, still on active duty, and I've been to mental health multiple times and I've been on medication and I'm still alive and I'm still thriving. So if anybody can look at me as an example then here I am. I've done it. And, and me too. I'm still active duty. And I, no shame in saying that I seek um, mental health services right now. So yep. I go uh, once a week or every other week and I see somebody. So Yeah. And I, I was doing that right at the end of my career. And then it took forever, of course, for the VA. But, you know, when you're getting seen at the VA, if you're waiting for an actual doctor at the VA, you might as well just give up. I mean, honestly, if and when you guys get to that point where you're rel- when you're getting your VA scheduled and benefits and whatnot, always, always, always ask for community care. I don't care what it's for. I don't care at all. Like, ask for community care. Because I get your referral outside of the, the VA clinic, and then I can get you an appointment steady and regularly and a lot quicker. So that's what I ended up doing with my therapist that I immediately started seeing two weeks after my referral got approved, and then I've been seeing once a week ever since, you know. But it, it all just gets to that point where you have to just admit that I, I need to talk to somebody. And that's a hard thing to do a lot of times, especially for guys, you know. But, um, Destiny, when you were a mental health tech, with your experience of just everything that 
you possibly could have witnessed in that in that position. What would you say you saw more of? Do you see more males or females? Um, I would say equal number of both, to be honest with you. I don't want to say that. I mean, we saw a different type. We saw different um, more for different things. And I'll elaborate on that in a minute. But um, usually usually whenever people would come in, I would say it's probably about 75% of the people that came in were with relationship problems. And it was just such a, especially in a deployed location, that was the majority of people that I saw were having relationship issues. And, um, you know, when people were coming in and, and having these issues, like I said, it was both male and female. And so it was, um, I would say, a good mix of both. I don't, it's not, it wasn't one or the other that I saw more of. Now, as far as other things go, like personality disorders, it was a lot of females that had personality disorders that I would see. Not to say that I didn't have males also. Um, I would say that a lot of the, a lot of the issues that people were facing as far as like combat and that kind of thing that were coming in with PTSD, um, that was also a healthy mix of male and female. So it wasn't one or the other okay. in my experience. You say the most, the most common thing though, overall was relationship issues. Yeah. Yeah. Were they more, I mean, I, I get relationship issues can be a wide variety of stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you happen to see a more common theme that it might've, that it was deployment related or was it just overall in general? Um, well, when I was deployed, um, it was a lot of relationship issues because people were, their spouse or their significant other was back home and maybe something would happen or they would have an argument or there was some um, infidelity going on. You know, they couldn't get back in, in contact with them, which caused a lot of anxiety. And when they were already going through a lot of stuff, being deployed and then having to deal with that. It was also a lot of stateside um, relationship issues too. Yeah, I know. We all dealt with relationship issues, both deployed and stateside, but I know I just felt like, you know, maybe it's just because of some of the stuff that some of my troops dealt with, but like, you know, coming home and then stuff comes alight, you know, and then all of a sudden they're, yeah. calls, you know, yeah, that did happen a lot too. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I mean. But mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people when it comes to deployments, right? Um, I deployed four times. Um, I went to Afghanistan. I went to Kuwait. I went to Africa. I went to Manas when it was still open in Kyrgyzstan. That one was just, honestly, that one was just fine. Um, no, I didn't see combat. No, I didn't go outside the wire. But, you know, still dealt with a lot of stuff. You mm -hmm. know, I was married the whole time. It's never easy, no matter how long or how many times you go through it. It's always hard. But when it comes down to it, the mental health aspect of it is still the same. You got to be able to admit, hey, I have an issue. I need to go talk to somebody. I need some help. You know? Yep. yep. And I did that in Manas, and I did that in Kuwait. I uh, didn't do that in in Bagram, didn't do that in, in Africa. I wasn't in Africa long enough to really do that, but um, it, it just all—it all really boils down to that. Like, hey, I have an issue. I need help. You know, instead of just 
I know a lot of people, at least I know I did for a while. It's like when I'm deployed, I'm just like, look, I'm just going to focus. I need, I need a job. I need to work out. I need sleep. And that's the, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm doing that every day. No days off. Just constantly, 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 you know? Yep. But after a while, and you know, especially in that type of uh, tempo, you burn out so damn quick. Yeah, you do. And it just, you would think, man, but it's going to make the days go by, you know, because I'm not going to have a day off to think about things. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But holy shit, do you burn out like in an instant? It is nuts. Yeah. But uh, Destiny, if uh, if you're comfortable, would you mind sharing some, some impactful stories, some powerful stories that maybe you've experienced as a mental health tech, like helping people or, or maybe even an unfortunate story with all the help that still just unfortunately didn't didn't help? Yeah, sure. So um, one story that I like to tell, um, and like I said before, I was a behavioral health instructor for four years. And uh, I always like to tell my students this story, especially like at graduation and stuff, um, that I had a patient one time that had a very traumatic upbringing. And um, I can't go into detail. I won't go into detail, but it was very, very traumatic. And um, he joined the Air Force to kind of get away from that chaotic environment. And unfortunately, he was really young. And unfortunately, you know, moving away from that, it helped him. But a lot of that he still had a lot of demons from his past. And so he got stationed overseas, which probably wasn't a good place for him to go um, for his first duty station. And um, just got blackout drunk suicide attempt. They sent him to, to us. Um, and I was his counselor for a good part of a year. Um, I can't take all the credit, you know, obviously I'm enlisted. I'm not a doctor, but, um, I did his counseling for over a year, uh, in the substance abuse clinic and, you know, went through all of his, he saw mental health too, but you know, it was a joint effort, but, um, or multidisciplinary as we call it. Um, but, when I had to transfer his aftercare and everything to another team, because I was PCSing to another base, he did actually come into the clinic and, and thank me. And he told me that, you know, I that we saved his life. And that was very, very impactful for me because it was very hard. Um, it was a very hard case. And it was a, it was a lot that I had to, um, I don't want to say had to, but it was a lot that I, I heard I had to process on my own because it was um, pretty traumatizing. And so, um, the hard work that I put into it and, and, and that we put into it as a team and got him better, you know, that was really impactful for me to, to hear that, you know, we saved somebody's life by doing that. Um, wow. the other, so the other not so good side of that story. And, you know, I've never actually had a patient commit suicide before. Um, but there have been patients in my clinic who have, and um, this is kind of an important story to tell, but we had um, a patient one time who was being seen for a couple of years and she had some stuff going on and she eventually got discharged from the mental health program. She was doing good. Treatment plan was working. Um, no need for her to see us anymore unless it was need as needed. Um, 
And uh, about a year later, she went to the doctor one week, said everything was fine on her screener. And then a week later, she ended up um, committing suicide. So I think it's really important that even if you think that you're okay and you're doing well, that, you know, maybe following up and and uh, addressing those those demons head on. But that's the thing about suicide, too, is sometimes it happens when you least expect it because people it doesn't always happen when people are at their lowest and when people are you know kind of not at the top of that that peak in the middle of the valley and in the peak and you think they're doing okay that's whenever they're kind of at peace with their decision so those are the people that you have to look out for um unfortunately in her case she didn't reach out to anybody and she did end up um committing suicide. So that was probably one that I think is important to tell because I think that, you know, people need to realize that even though, I think that even though people think that they're doing okay, um, it's all about connectedness and getting and knowing that person and, and if something's off about them and engaging and intervening and seeing if there's anything you can do to help. I don't really know all of the ins and outs of that one because she wasn't my patient. It was just something that, you know, happened in our clinic. So, yeah, I know they always teach us, you know, the signs when we have to go through those suicide prevention training days and stuff like that. Um, you look for those signs, right? Um, pulling away, agitated, or like, or if you see them all of a sudden starting to sell a bunch of stuff, you know. Even then, if you see absolutely none of those signs, you just, you have no idea what is going on in somebody's head. And, and even, even if that, like it, you might see some, someone who, who ends up, unfortunately, you know, taking that, taking that route, but then you're like, damn, like I knew they were going through a lot. It doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not trying to be insistent, but it doesn't come across your mind as like a surprise. You knew they were going through a lot. You you were wishing and hoping they were getting the help. And you were trying to be there for them. And just, in the end, it just wasn't enough. Does that make sense? I'm trying not to be insensitive. You know, yeah, that makes sense. really good point. And actually, I did think of it. This isn't a, a mental health story. This is just a personal story that I can share um, with you is. So when I was deployed, I had a really good friend that was deployed with me, Amber. And, um, she was active duty and, um, she had been going through a lot, um, with her family, uh, with her home life and, um, me and Amber and a a group of our friends, we were all super, super close. We talked all the time. I had actually talked to her, um, October of 2019, um, we got a message from somebody that was stationed with her saying that she committed suicide and um, she was stationed at Wright Pat and we all ended up going to her funeral. And, you know, I was kind of there, like I just talked to her. How come I didn't realize you? And then I'm thinking, Oh, well, I'm a mental health tech. I should have known, but I didn't. Um, But the thing I, I can say about her funeral and one thing that really, stood out to me as somebody got up there and talked and spoke about her. And when they got up there and spoke about her, they said um, that she had reached out and said that she didn't think that anybody cared about her. 
And as soon as they said that, I looked around the room and it was literally standing room only. There were so many people there, so many people there at her funeral and so many people there that loved her. And um, I think about her all the time and things that she could have done. Um, you know, shit, sometimes I think, is there something that I could have done? Logically, I know that's not um, something that anything I could have done or any of us could have done, but um, she was struggling. And um, unfortunately, she she did make that decision. Yeah, that that stuff right there. In the end, like you just have no idea what's going on in somebody's head, and that's what sucks, you know. And I had a I had a supervisor um, when I was back at Cannon. I was uh, when I was stationed there, working at the seventy third AMU. Um, it was a great great guy, man. Like. He's funny, you know, and then he wasn't my supervisor too, too long, but, you know, he, he was great. He was funny. He was smart. You know, we always got along and stuff like that. He was just a good guy, you know, and, um, I PCS and he eventually PCS, um, while I was at Lake and Heath, um, you guys know like how you'll see fellow people in your career field somebody will update their photo with our our uh occupation badge with the black line right and that'll let you know hey we lost somebody in our career field well that all started happening and um for sometimes i'm like who was it sometimes i'm like "Ah, i probably have no idea who it is we got a large career field you know but um when it came down to it and then uh a like an Air Force Times or Air Force.com um, news article came down about an NCO in Guam. And I was just like, wow, okay. And it turned out to be him. And I was just like, I, I still to this day could not, just not fucking believe it. It's like, he in no way, shape, or form ever showed any type of signs like that you know like i know nobody's perfect i know i'm not gonna rock across anybody who has absolutely no issues whatsoever but it's like you can't at a certain point it's like how in the hell did he ever get to that space like he was he was living his life he was going his career he was he was happy every time he had so much to talk about and he had so many goals and then just like that he was gone and it was just one of those things, you know, like I'm religious, not crazy religious, but, you know, I, I do believe, you know, in my, in my faith, but he was an atheist. So that put me in the question of like, what the hell happened to his soul? You know, like, it, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that started planting my head. Like, what the hell, you know, like, but I still was so, I still have that shock about it when I think, when I think about it, I'm just like, I don't get it. How did he get there? What was possibly going through through his mind? And, you know, unfortunately, we'll never know. And all I can do now is just remember how how good of a guy he was, a good supervisor, how, you know, how many times he made me laugh, and try to be here in this capacity now to try to help another veteran not do that. That's all I can do now. So, yeah, for sure. Um, I can kind of relate to that story. 
So I had a friend that I went to high school with. Um, his name is Will. And he had to lose about 100 pounds to join the Marine Corps. His dream was to join the Marine Corps because his brother was in the Army. Um, great fucking guy. Like, had the best personality. Just happy-go-lucky. Um, worked his ass off in everything that he did. Um, he, I remember seeing him when he graduated boot camp. Well, I saw him on Facebook and I commented on him. I was like, hey, man, I'm so proud of you. Like, this is quite a feat. Like, you've worked so hard to get here. And he was just super fucking proud to be a Marine. Um, and he did, I think, four or five years in the Marine Corps. And I remember him messaging me because we kept in contact over the years. And he messaged me and he was like, hey, I'm getting out here pretty soon. You know, I want to stay here in the Tampa area. Um, I have my, my wife and my kid and stuff. Um, and I just, you know, I got to be able to be home. And I was like, yeah, man, I get that. And I was like, you know, you served your time. You did what you'd plan to do and got those goals done. So he got out. Um, and about a year later, I want to say he had gotten really deep into drugs. Um, and none of us had any idea that this was coming. Like, obviously we knew he had been pretty heavy into the drugs, but we didn't realize how far it was going to go. Well, he ended up overdosing and killing himself. Um, I guess there was some trouble at home that nobody was super familiar with. Like everyone knew that he was having some marriage issues, but Everybody just kind of thought, oh, it'll smooth over. And I remember my friend calling me, and she was like, hey, Will's gone. And I was like, what do you mean he's gone? She goes, he died. Last night, he overdosed. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me, dude. Like, he was just a few years younger than me. Like, I'm I'm still in my 20s. This is insane. And she was like, yeah. She's like, they found him dead in his apartment. She's like, the worst part is I was partying with him last night. Ugh. And I was like, fuck, dude. So not I only imagine her, I could imagine her yeah. my friend, thinking that like she all of a sudden feels responsible because she feels like she should have done something. Yeah, exactly. Because there was no hint that night that he was going to do it. Um, and I was just, I'm still, I'm the same as you, Rusty. I'm still in shock. I still have his picture on my phone. I still follow his Instagram account. And it's been, I think he passed away in 2016. I still follow his Instagram account because I can't, bring myself to take him off of my followers or to not follow his account because the picture that's on his Instagram is of him smiling, you know, yeah. just happy and full of life. And I'm like, that's how I want to remember him. But it broke my fucking heart because it's just like you were saying so many veterans, you know, they get out and they don't have that community. And I felt like he may have been in a mindset where he didn't have that community because I know he said that he had missed being in the Marine Corps and things like that. And I was like, Hey man, like if you ever need anything, reach out, you know, like I'm here for you. Um, and I feel like I didn't do enough. Like maybe if I would have kept in better contact with him, maybe we could have gone down a different road and you always do those what if scenarios, but it's a hard fucking thing to lose anybody, you know? Well, Jess, um, what resources of the, you know, the, we have with the air force have you used and um what your what's your experience with them so when i was a young airman i used the chaplain um i remember in tech school i went and talked to the chaplain um because i so i lost my my grandfather my dad four weeks before i went to basic training and i did not give myself the time to grieve like i you know kind of talked about last episode I went into basic training. I was like, that's, that's where it started, right? I've been gutting through shit my whole life, right? But I was like, I got to fucking gut through this. I, I don't have time to grieve my dad, which is a terrible thing to look back on 17 years later. 
but I knew I had to get in the Air Force because I needed to build a future for myself. I knew that's what my dad wanted for me. So I just wanted to stay the course. Um, So I went and talked to a chaplain, which helped because I, after losing my dad, a couple weeks into basic training, I actually had to escort a female trainee who was in my flight to Wilford Hall because she was suicidal. And that was my first time being back in a hospital since my dad had died. So it was like a triggering thing for me because I hadn't processed it yet. So at that point, I was just like, I don't know. I don't even want to be in the fucking Air Force anymore. Like, why am I doing this? I did this for my dad, you know, questioning all those things. So when I was in tech school, it was starting to kind of catch up with me. And I talked to the chaplain and it wasn't a bad experience. It was nice because I could kind of talk about everything and just get everything out. Um, I wish I could have done a little bit more, but when you're in tech school, your time is very limited, right? And they can only let you out of class so much before they have to roll you back. And I was trying to stay the course. Um, When I got back from my first deployment in 2011, I was the first time I'd gone to mental health. And the only reason why I did was because my supervisor and I had deployed together and she had noticed that I'd become more withdrawn, more isolated. I didn't really go out anymore. Um, I didn't seem as happy-go-lucky as I did before we left because we'd been gone for like a year. And she was like, hey, um, you should go talk to somebody. And I was like, what do you mean I should go talk to somebody? She's like, you're not yourself. You should go talk to somebody. And I was like, well, who do I talk to? A chaplain? I was like, I'm not religious. And she was like, no. She said, you don't have to go to a chaplain. She's like, you know, you can just walk into the mental health clinic, right? And I was like, no, I didn't know that. So I made an appointment and I went and talked to a provider. I think I had three or four sessions with a provider and just kind of talked through some stuff, but I wasn't ready. I was not ready to talk about everything. I wasn't ready to process everything. I just wanted to continue to gut it out. And then I went on my second deployment at the end of 2012 into 2013. And the summer of 2013 is when everything took a toll. And I went down a very dark path. Um, And like I was alluding to earlier, I was ready to unalive myself because everything had hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. The anniversary of my dad's death hit me really hard. I had just gotten back from a deployment. Um, My second one in Afghanistan. And no, I was not out doing combat ops or anything like that. Um, But if anybody's ever heard an F-22 break the sound barrier, it sounds like you're getting mortared. So it was a triggering thing for me. And I was not prepared to deal with that when I got home. So that was something that was bothering me. And my relationship that I was in, I was in a very terrible relationship that unfortunately continued past the time I'd gotten my care. And that was weighing on me too. So it was like the entire world was sitting on my shoulders and I had nowhere to go and nowhere to hide. And it felt like nobody gave a fuck about me. When in reality they did, I just couldn't see it. So that was when my friend, um, actually I'll just tell the story. So I remember being at Holloman, same time Destiny was oddly enough. Um, I was sitting on my couch and I lived on base. So I'd gone home for lunch and I was sitting on my couch and I just couldn't get off my couch. And I just started crying. Like this was literally like 1130 in the morning and I was just crying and I just could not fathom getting off the couch and going back to work because I just could not physically move. And I texted my friend and I said, Hey, I'm in a really bad, bad place right now. And she was like, what's going on? She's like, where are you at? And I said, I'm at home. And she goes, okay, give me a few minutes. I'm going to come over. So she leaves work. She comes to my house and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, I was just bawling, 
just like everything was coming out right and i was like i just want to kill myself and she was like whoa wait what and i was like yeah i said i cannot deal with everything that i have going on in my head right now this is too fucking much for me like i don't know what else to do but just end it and she was like well how are you planning on doing this i said i'm gonna take my car tonight i'm gonna drive as fast as i fucking can i'm gonna flip it and i'm gonna kill myself and she was like no you're not and she grabs a hold of me and she pulls me into a hug and she's like give me a few minutes i'm gonna call the first sergeant and i'm gonna call the section chief and we're gonna get you help because you need help and i said okay so she did and i went over to the mental health clinic and i met with the provider and the provider looked at me and i remember the first thing he said to me was you look like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders and you look like everything is just sitting on top of you and you have nowhere to turn. I said, well, you just described exactly how I feel. And he was like, Hey, um, I don't think it's safe for you to stay at your house by yourself. So I think it would be best if we send you down to hospital in El Paso. And I agreed to go because at this point I was like, I have nothing to fucking lose. I'm already at rock bottom. So They took me down to the hospital in El Paso where I spent two weeks um, in a military care unit and I was able to get the, I was able to start, I should say, getting the help that I needed. And then I just continued my care for about another four months after that, just talking every week. I think it was twice a week, maybe. Um, They put me on some anti-anxiety medication to help me sleep because I wasn't sleeping. Um, And, you know, there were a couple of times during that treatment that I had had, you know, some bad anxiety attacks and things like that. But I was able to start working through stuff because I realized that all I needed to do was just fucking talk to somebody and get all this shit out. And my most recent was this uh, earlier this year because I got divorced last year and I started feeling that kind of stuff come up. And I was like, okay, I know how this feels. I know what I need to do. So I I said, Hey, I'm going to go to mental health. I scheduled the appointment and I ended up meeting with a great provider with the Family Advocacy Program. Um, and he, he helped me work through a lot of stuff. Um, so I'm on, a, I'm on a much better path than I was 10 years ago. And I'm very grateful for the people who stepped in and literally saved my life that day. That's good. When you went to El Paso, was that the peak? No, it was University Behavioral Hospital. Mm-hmm. UBH. Yeah, UBH. You, you, uh, you went there a couple of times. Yep. As a behavioral health tech, right? Yep. I used to have to go there. Um, We used to have to do site visits just to make sure everything was in order and meet the doctors and the therapists and stuff that were treating the, our, our people that were up there from Holloman, down there from Holloman. (laughs) The peak was in Las Cruces. That's where that was. Yeah, Las Cruces. Well, tell you guys what, I saw mental health. I know I did see it on my first appointment. I was going to both the chaplain and mental health in my first appointment. I was doubling down. I was just going through the typical kind of hardships you would think in a marriage with the first deployment. You know, it uh, it was really hard, you know, and I was trying to make sure that I was not getting to a too, too bad of a place. Came home, tried to do counseling with the MFLAC, which, you know, that they don't do just singles. Like, you can do actual couples counseling with the MFLAC, you know, whatnot, just like you could do that with a chaplain. When I deployed to 
Kuwait in 2014, that was probably the absolute like worst one. Not as in like shit that happened on deployment, like you know getting blown up, but just like the worst deployment for me with every you know with what I went through personally, you know and. I saw mental health there, and that was the first time that I got on depression medicine, anti-depression medicine. Um, and ironically enough, whenever the doctor then described me how, you know, the medicine works, like how we all just hope, wish, and pray there was like a pill that makes you happy, like immediately, you know, but it just helps balance, you know, the hormones or whatnot. But then he's like, if you drink alcohol, then that brings you down. And then if you take it, then it bring it bounces in that one. That was actually when I, I quit drinking. Um, I mean, I was deployed. Obviously, I couldn't drink. But so I kind of put like my unofficial date that I quit drinking the day that I left. And I haven't drank since. It's been almost eight years, you know. Um, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. But that one is when I really really went through some dark dark holes and Jess was actually there for a lot of it I called and FaceTimed you a lot you helped me through a lot of that and I I couldn't I couldn't thank you enough you know for being there for me as much as you were that one I had some of the absolute best best people that I would like worked with just co-workers in general and, and actually, like, my leadership, minus, like, two people that, you know, I didn't care about. But but my, my I was with the maintenance unit. You know, when I deployed at that time, I was always with the maintenance unit. So I have all the maintainers. You have the, the pro soup, right, the production. He was, I can't, I don't think I've ever had a better pro soup in my life. We didn't even call him, like, by his rank and name. Uh, we had such a good working relationship. Everybody, we just called him Pops. Like, literally. That was what we did. We're like, yo, Pops, you know? Over the over the radio, we're like, yo, Dragon 5, right? You know, but like, hey, Pops, you know? And he was cool with it because we we trusted him. He trusted us. We we followed his orders. Don't get me wrong. We never, like, used that to our advantage to be unprofessional. But, like, he was everything. Like, he held us together like no other. And I remember being so out of my mind, like literally out of my mind that I was, I called him on the radio, asked him where it was. And he had gotten the truck, drove over there to the, where the plane was, where they were fixing it. And when I got out, I started walking. He saw me. So he turned around and started walking towards me because he knew I wanted to see him. He didn't know what or why. Um, and when he got within like just a couple of steps, he's like, what's up, man? I literally just fell into him, wrapped my arms around him, and I started bawling. Like I, and he held on to me. He was like, bro, bro, dude, what's going on, man? Like, and, and literally for the rest of that shift, he sat down with me and just talked. He did no more work. He got, he trusted his people like, hey, take over. You know what to do. He knew his people would get the job done with or without. And he sat there and he took care of me. He made sure I was okay. That couldn't have asked for a better person to be deployed with. Like he made sure that I was okay. 
And no matter what, for the rest of the time until I went home, I mean, he never would tell me to hold on or he'd never tell me, Hey, I can, or he was there. If I, if I really needed him, he was there period. I'll never forget him. He was by far one of the reasons, you know, that I felt that I could make it home and be okay, you know, because he, he just showed that he cared. Then, um, my worst, absolute worst moment. I don't know if I've really told many people about this. I don't even think I've told you, Jess. But when I was in Lincoln Heath, I was going through my divorce. You know, in the end, things just don't work out. It's really setting into me because I now have to face the fact that I'm not going to be with my kids all the time. And that's the hardest, that's been the hardest thing. You can even ask Destiny. That's been the absolute hardest thing, not having my kids. Um, I keep a group, I keep the best relationship I can with them, calling, FaceTiming, seeing them as much as I can. You know, they know I love them. It's, just, it's not the same of not coming through that door and hearing them, you know, scream daddy and running up to me and giving me a hug. It's not the same. And I hate it every day. But when it was becoming a reality, when I knew that this was actually going to happen, I would be at my house just sitting there. I would either be just sitting on the floor, on the chair at the table, and I would just be sitting there in complete silence. And I would have my switchblade pressed as hard as I could against my wrist, just sitting there. Because all I knew is it just took one, one quick pull to the right, and I could finally start getting some relief. And I did that multiple nights. And just the one thing that I could only think of is that, what will my kids think of me when they get old enough to understand? And what brought me, what I would honestly say brought me out of that and got me from that base in England to come home alive. It wasn't resources that, you know, was offered to me, which I took advantage of. Don't get me wrong. I saw the chaplain and everything like that. Um, I'm not saying they didn't do their job. I'm just saying what I know truly saved my life was my best friend. My best friend, Dustin, who I've literally known my whole life. He, I mean, we call each other brothers because I kid you not, I have known him since the day I was born because his mom and my mom have gone back in childhood friends. And so whenever everything started happening, I talked to him for hours and hours every day, whether it was, it doesn't matter what time of day, even though he's back here in Texas and I was over there with a completely different time zone and all that stuff. He never didn't answer. He was there and he talked me through and he made sure because he's an army veteran and he's also been through two divorces and he has, you know, he has his own issues, but no matter what, we've always been there for each other. And that is the reason why I'm alive. I have, I don't even know if I told you that, babe. No, not that part of it, but you did tell me that you relied on him a lot to get you through the hard times. It's just, it's one thing that I want to make sure people understand when it comes to us, you know, 
non-combat people. We go through a lot. We have PTSD. We have unbearable anxiety for some things, you know. And we don't really get seen as in some in some worlds as like, well, what are, what are you complaining about? You didn't you didn't you know go outside the wire and. And not everybody's like that. I think some, you know, people kind of get in their little pride circles thinking like, oh, I'm a, I was out there and stuff like that. Man, that's great. I'm proud of you. Awesome. I'm glad you did that. Like, I remember literally being asked, well, how long were you deployed for or whatever like that? And I was like, uh, I was like, I was deployed for six months. And he literally is like, man, I was deployed for 15 months. And I was like, okay, and? Does that off? Does that make me not deployed? Like, what, what do you? What does that mean? Like, yeah, I mean, experiences may vary. Yeah, and that's something I've never understood about people who are like, you know, they want to sit there and tell you like your their experiences are, are worse, or you know, they went through this and they went through that, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, your experience is different than mine. We all deal with things differently, but maybe he didn't go through what you went through or maybe they didn't go through what you went through and they don't know how they would have handled it either. So I've just never understood that, you know. I'm in the same with you, Destiny. I don't understand why we try to compare ourselves to each other. Every veteran's going to have a different story. You know, I nobody's better than the other. I Whether you were infantry, special forces, a support role, you know, everything's going to affect everyone differently. And that's something that I hate is that also becomes a stigma of, oh, you weren't in a combat role, so you can't have PTSD. Like, yeah, you can. Do you know how many people in non-combat roles have been killed? Do you know how many supply airmen ran convoys in Iraq and Afghanistan? I did convoy duty in Kabul, right? Yeah. It, it's just your experience is going to be different. Yeah, most definitely. And and even then, like, there's there's some crazy accidents that just that happen where where you could be that just that it really puts your mind into like holy shit like that was close or you know and that and that it, it really can like you know when you when you're flying on up to C one thirty and all of a sudden you get caught in, in an in flight emergency that puts you in a insanely turbulent situation but you you land you're alive but all of a sudden you 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 come out and you see that one of the engines are smoking because it was on fire. <laughs> Which happened to me when I went to Bagram. Like, oh shit! <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, I almost just die. Like, what, what just happened? Like, wait, I get off the freaking aircraft, and all of a sudden, there's all the emergency vehicles. I'm just like, I, I think I almost just died, but okay. Like, <laughs> or when you, know, you start popping chaff and flare flying out of Bagram. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's that is a real big reason why you know not only just. For every every single military member, veteran, active duty, reserve guard, whoever needs to be more understanding and comfortable with the topic of mental health. But then we also need to make sure that I, I think that not only do we have to deal with as supporting roles the stigma from people like, well, why do you have what what are you upset about? What do you have PTSD for? Because you never you never served in combat. I think some of that will honestly put 
people like us into a point where like I, I don't need to see mental health. I, I never saw combat. Like it, it kind of gets put into that reverse situation where like I don't need to claim or I don't need to see anything about that because I, I nothing happened to me. I'm like, well, no, that doesn't mean that you don't have issues from it, that you don't have something that you need to get off your chest that, that bothered you, you know? Yeah, at that point, you just end up gaslighting yourself. Exactly. Well, guys, told you this episode was going to get pretty heavy. And so I hope that some of this stuff that we talked about can help make you feel like you're not alone, help make you feel like you can reach out to somebody. Uh, Even if it's us, like I said, we have our IG that you can shoot us a DM on, Common Warrior Podcast. Uh, on there in the contact information we have our email and we have a number that you can text we want to be a resource for you guys as well or we can help you find those resources I don't care what branch you're in I will figure out what resource you need to find Okay. if you need to talk to somebody right now dial 988 option 1 that is the quickest way to get to the veterans suicide hotline Okay, don't let the word suicide get the best of you. They can help if you're just really feeling at a dark point and be a person that can talk, you can talk to. Okay, 988, option one. Okay, it's very simple. Any parting words, guys? No, thank you for letting me be a part of this and explaining, um, you know, my side of it from the behavioral health standpoint. Um so I appreciate you guys and, and letting me take some time to explain that. Of course. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Destiny. We truly appreciate everything that you bring to the podcast. Um, I think you've shared a lot, especially coming from, you know, being a behavioral health tech and that experience and stuff. I think that can help people kind of feel more at ease with getting help with, um, with the services that are out there. And I just want to say similar So what Rusty was saying is, guys, please, if you're struggling, get help. Don't let it boil over. Don't let it get to the point where, you know, you're at your lowest of your low and you're just ready to end it because I promise you it can get better. Sometimes you just have to voice it and voicing it can, you know, break whatever shell you have around that pain. Please reach out. Please get help. Um, We're here for you guys. And we want to hear from you guys if you're struggling and maybe we can help you out. And if we can't, we'll get you to somebody who can. And we love you guys. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in to Common War Podcast. We are very happy you spent this time with us. Please don't miss the next episode. Take care. Bye, guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to drop us a follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at The Common Warrior. You can also find us on Instagram at Common Warrior Podcast. Take care and join us again for our next episode.